It's Tuesday, October 27th, 2020, and you are listening to the Self-Protectorate Podcast, and I am your host, The Burb. On today's podcast, I thought that I would share some of my insights on Congress with you. I'm going to list some questions that people should be asking about Congress and about government in general. Some of the questions I'm going to ask on this episode are going to sound a little ridiculous, but I want you to really think about them and consider their ramifications. So here's the list of questions. How much money does a congressman or congresswoman make per year on the taxpayer's dime? Do most representatives and senators come from financially middle-of-the-road backgrounds like most Americans? Or do they come from somewhere else? What is the average net worth for a representative or a senator? Are there term limits on Congress? And finally, is Congress likely to vote itself out of a job? Now, before I go any further, I would like to preface everything I'm about to say that I understand that money itself is not evil. It is only a tool. But it is the love of money, or greed, that is the root of all evil. So to answer the first question, a simple internet search will let you know that the annual salary for a member of Congress is $174,000 a year, and it has been at that level since 2009. Uh, The only exceptions include the Speaker of the House with a salary of $223,500, and the President pro temp of the Senate, and the majority and minority leaders in the House and Senate, all with a salary of... $193,400. Please keep in mind that the median wage earner in the U.S. today earns $34,500 per year. So just on the basis of earned income, a rank-and-file member of Congress is already earning five times the median income for the U.S. worker. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, is earning from her salaried position at taxpayer expense six and a half times the median income for the U.S. worker. This kind of salaried earned income alone at taxpayer expense, mind you, places every member of Congress well within the top 18% of income earners in the United States. But many members of Congress are wealthier than this. There have been and are presently many senators and representatives that became wealthy prior to being elected to a congressional seat, which is fine, totally fine. I am totally for accumulating wealth by business ownership and investment as long as it is all legal, moral, ethical, and above board. But when I look at the wealth of senators and congressmen who serve one term or even term after term, as there are no term limits on Congress presently, I see what appears to be collusion and a juicing of the system, a rigging of the political systems that supercharges Congress's personal wealth. It is a little-known fact that members of Congress, due to their roles in Congress, may be privy to certain trade issues and inside business deals. This is largely due to the fact that large businesses, large banks, and industry heads often go to Congress in an attempt to change, alter, or shape the law for their own benefit. But did you know that members of Congress can and often make financial moves in their own personal finances based on this insider data? And it is legal for them to do so. If you or I were to attempt insider trading, we would be charged with a crime and prosecuted according to the law. But not Congress. Now why is that? Uh, To be fair, Congress did pass the Stock Act in 2012, or the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act. It created law that attempted to prevent congressional members from using insider trading for their own personal benefit. Essentially, congressional members could not purchase single stocks, but could only trade on funds such as ETFs and mutual funds, some combination of stocks. 
Sounds good, but in that scenario, a person can still end up buying into the funds where the insider information would help them pick those stocks. So essentially, it would hide their gains by not letting the public know just what stocks they were actually purchasing and on what information. So rather than create transparency and prevent corruption, it only served to muddy the waters instead. But barely a year after the act was passed, it was amended by Congress. Gee, can you guess why? It was amended by Congress so that it would be less transparent. This is from an article on the Stock Act from Jason Fernando with Investopedia from October 9th, 2019. Quote, Many people may be surprised to learn that until recently, trading based on material non-public information, otherwise known as insider trading, was both legal and commonplace among members of Congress. The Stock Act was introduced into Congress in January of 2012 and was passed in April 2012 with substantial bipartisan support. The purpose of the Stock Act was to ensure that the general prohibition against insider trading applies to members of Congress and other federal employees, including the president, vice president, and certain other members of the executive branch. The Stock Act was passed with overwhelming bipartisan support. In the Senate, it passed by a 96-3 vote. Its support in the House of Representatives was even more widespread, passing with a margin of 417-2 to two votes. To achieve this, the Stock Act mandated increased levels of financial transparency, requiring high-ranking officials to file detailed financial disclosures. This included mandating filings within 45 days of any material gains, as well as the disclosure of home mortgage terms. It also forbade officials from participating in initial public offerings, IPOs, the Stock Act was structured as an amendment to a pre-existing law, namely the Ethics and Government Act of 1978, which was passed in the wake of the infamous Watergate scandal. This law created standards relating to the disclosure of financial information by government employees and created websites and other mechanisms to permit public oversight of that information. As such, the Stock Act built upon this legal foundation. Congress, however, has since taken steps in the opposite direction. Nearly one year after the passage of the Stock Act, Congress passed an amendment to the Stock Act that weakened the Act's financial disclosure requirements." Unquote. So the changes that Congress made to the Stock Act made it more difficult for the public to find the financial disclosure information from members of Congress. I wonder why they would want to do that. Now remember that the bill that created the Stock Act was pushed through Congress a year after the only ever audit of the Federal Reserve Bank, uh, which was actually only a partial audit. I mean, how in the world can they get away with that? Only a partial audit of the Federal Reserve Bank, and it's only been one audit ever in the Fed's history at that point. A hundred years, only one audit, and it's only a partial audit. I, I don't understand it. So this, the Stock Act, is at a time when the people of the United States are pushing for more transparency in the finances of the U.S. government and the office holders in the government. Now, why do you think that people would want to ensure that there is financial transparency with Congress? Probably for the same reasons people have been pushing for financial transparency with the president and vice president since the last election. People inherently understand that corruption follows money. And the people of the U.S. have known for a long time that Congress has routinely engaged in insider trading. Again, legal for them, but not for you. Isn't it amazing how Congress passes a law that is supposed to limit itself, but actually gives itself more cover to continue to engage in corruption? And this just goes to show that there really is no such thing as limited government. Government is absolute authority, and there can be no limits on absolute authority. 
And this is one of the main problems with the U.S. system established under the president's constitution. It established a corrupt government. Of course, there would be no corruption in Congress if Congress was simply not allowed to exist, but then you would need to have a self-protectorate to accomplish that, which is what we need. Last night I watched a few videos on quantum mechanics, which I find to be totally interesting. And while watching these videos on quantum mechanics, I also discovered that Google and IBM have developed and are still in the process of developing quantum computers, which calculate off of a qubit rather than a standard bit, which we find in conventional computers today and for the last half century. Essentially, a quantum computer can compute probabilities and outcomes at amazing speeds, and they have the potential to be incredibly accurate depending on the algorithm. Rhythm. Google and IBM aren't the only companies that have developed them or are developing them. This technology will revolutionize humanity in many incomprehensible and unique ways for the foreseeable future. I bring this up simply to point out the fact that we have technology today, right now, to create a body of unchangeable law, to create all the law that mankind will ever need, and to make it simple, effective, and able to apply in all situations. We can draw from mankind's past experiences with law and determine which laws are just and which are not. It's not rocket surgery. What this means is that people can have the law without needing Congress or any other body of politicians or bureaucrats to make the law for us. When the law is made in whole, and when it is firm and unchangeable, then it truly can be held to be inviolate and above all people. This is what is necessary for a true republic. I've said this before and I'll say it again. A true republic can only exist inside of a self-protectorate. Alright, so getting back to some of my earlier points. What is the average net worth for a member of Congress? Well, we had to look to last year to find out this info. An article from USA Today from October 25th, 2019, written by Samuel Stebbins and John Harrington, found in the money section, titled, Here are the members of Congress with the highest estimated net worth. Quote, In the earliest days of American independence, members of the federal government were not paid a salary as most of them were wealthy to begin with. This included members of Congress. Today, though all congressional representatives earn salaries, not much else has changed. The typical congressional representative, including both senators and House members, has an estimated net worth of over $500,000, or roughly five times the median U.S. household net worth. The high net worth of American lawmakers is partially attributable to their annual salaries of $174,000, which is more than triple the average wage across all American workers of $51,960, and higher than the median earnings of even the highest paying jobs in America. Still, the wealthiest congressional representatives did not earn their fortunes as public servants. Many of the wealthiest legislators first had successful and lucrative careers in the private sector. Others, meanwhile, have married into or inherited vast fortunes, unquote. Yep, that's what I want to do if I inherit a vast fortune. Run for Congress. Not just live my life and have money and just veg out all day and just go on a permanent vacation. And why? You could say that, well, they're patriotic and love their country, but the reality is that if they truly were patriotic, they would stand opposed to the idea of government. So what truly attracts successful or wealthy people to the halls of Congress? Well, to sum it up, we can say that wealthy people love money and power. That's why they're wealthy. And what does money and power want? More money and power. That's what money and power wants. Now again, I'm not saying that having money makes a person corrupt or a bad person. After all, it is only the love of money that is the root of all evil. So judge for yourself. Does your congressman love money? If so, they are corrupt. Keep that in mind the next time you go to vote. Of course, in a self-protectorate, you would have a selection 
rather than an election, which would help to sift out people that are wanting to get into office only for money and power, but I'll address that in another episode. Next question. Are there term limits on Congress? There are no term limits on Congress. Presently, none. Zero. Zilch. Yep, the same corrupt people can keep getting elected until they die. This is another problem with Congress that the Constitution does not address. And in order for there to be term limits, Congress would have to vote for it. What do you think? Do you think that it's likely that Congress will vote to put limits on how many terms they can serve? Not likely. Of course, there is a push for that very thing to happen. You can go to bethebird.com right now, and on the main page, if you scroll down to the third video, you'll see a testimony from uh, Nick Tombulades, who is pushing for term limits for Congress. Oh, and by the way, definitely subscribe to the Term Limits for Congress channel on YouTube. It's full of good points, and the videos are most excellent. Hopefully, term limits for Congress will happen, but don't hold your breath. Asking Congress to limit itself is like asking a bank robber to stop robbing banks. You can ask, just don't expect it to happen. And the next question was, is it likely that Congress will vote itself out of a job? Well, not at all. So, when presented with the idea of self-protectorate, I, I don't expect that any congressman will be willing to say goodbye to Congress or any kind of lawmaking entity. The reality, though, just as I said earlier, is that the technology exists today that will allow the people to develop a whole and complete solid body of unchangeable law based on natural law that we can use. This makes Congress obsolete. In fact, the big tech companies such as Google are attempting to improve and expand their power and influence through quantum computing, thus bypassing Congress all the time, rendering them moot. While I don't like Congress, I certainly do not want a technocracy to take over. That would just be another form of oligarchical government. Again, you and I and all of us can stop this technocracy from advancing by adopting a system of unchangeable law, and that system is self-protectorate. If we simply say, here is the law, we have all the law we need, and it is simple and applies in every situation, and there can be no more law made for man, then there is no reason for any other quantum computing to be done to produce more law, and thus there will be no need for a technocracy as well. This is why I have said, and why I continue to say, that self-protectorate is the solution to mankind's problems now and in the future. This is the next evolutionary and revolutionary step in the advancement of the state and society for mankind. Well, that's all the time I have for today. Please check out BeTheBurb.com for more information on self-protectorate, and the Red Pill Expo special is still going on. You can download for free directly from BeTheBurb.com for the next week anyway. After that, you'll have to purchase the ebook. But for now, you can download a PDF version of Self-Protectorate, Blueprint for a Better World. The book goes more in-depth on what a self-protectorate is and how it operates and shows just how freedom can be achieved and maintained under the rule of unchangeable law. Also, I highly encourage everyone to take action and go to conventionofstates.com and learn more about the way in which we the people can bypass Congress in order to change the U.S. Constitution. Hopefully, it can be changed in such a way as to establish a true republic in a self-protectorate. Next episode will be available on Friday, so please tune in for more info. Until next time, keep promoting righteous change.